0: One Week Season.
1: Welcome to the OWS First Peak podcast, where we are going to be talking about some of this week's games that might be flying a bit under the radar. This is your host, Ben Fritz, BFritz12 on DraftKings Discord and Twitter. And today I'm joined by Lex Morelia and Majestic. Guys, uh, technical issues aside, how are we after week five?
0: Hanging on. Go ahead, Jess. <laughs> Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Right. Hanging yeah. In, in there. <laughs> That's pretty yeah. much it. Hanging in there. Last Leave week wasn't great. I right. had two pretty good weeks, but uh, two out of five are not better than three out of five. So,
1: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we kind of talked about it last week. It's just like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> We were we were excited about the potential for that Tennessee Jacksonville game. And that's what I went all in on. I talked about it a little bit uh, earlier when I went live in Discord in the community reflection. And uh, yeah, I mean, just brutal. It's it's one of those things that you know, talks we talk about a lot here at OWS about how, uh, you know, part of the tournament strategy is you can go you know all in on a game environment or a couple of game environments and it lessens the amount of things you get right but when you're wrong you're still going to be wrong and so i was i was wrong again
2: this week with that yeah, urban meyer is just such a donkey and then oh. you have a rookie play caller on the other side of that game too both of them both of those guys are calling plays for the first time in the nfl and it showed
3: yeah, he was having trouble concentrating on the game. You know, his mind was elsewhere, probably in a bar in Ohio somewhere.
2: <laughs> he grinded it out, though. <laughs> uh,
1: with that, we're going to roll into uh, today's focus, which uh, the games we are going to be talking about this week, trying to search for things that the field may not be focused on are Kansas City at Washington, Dallas at New England, Cincinnati at Detroit. We will go in this order to start this first game, Kansas City, Washington. This is kind of off brand for us in this podcast in that uh, this is not going to be flying under the radar, right? But with that, even though it's going to be, you know, probably the most popular game or one that people are stacking quite a bit, we wanted to at least dig in and see what we can get from a data perspective and how we might be able to approach this game differently than the field might be, um, or at least just make sure that we are approaching it intelligently, given that it's going to be chalky. So with that, Let's go ahead and start with the Kansas City offense versus Washington D, where Washington ranks 29th in defensive pass DVOA. And the last three QBs have all scored four plus touchdowns. If I was reading your stats right, Lex, is that true? And what are we thinking about that?
3: Yeah, this defense has been hemorrhaging points. The They has, they still have a nice defensive line, but their secondary just getting picked on week in and week out. Um, I think the field has caught on at this point that their defense isn't performing like it did last year. Uh, only Kansas City has allowed more QB DK DK points this year than Washington. So both these teams are just getting absolutely killed through the air. So I, I really like this spot for the Kansas City offenses. I'm sure everyone will as they're like the highest total game by like four points. Uh, so I think that the the way we'll talk about this game is obviously, you know, what to do with it, with, you know, Kansas City having a pretty narrow distribution at the top, but, you know, ways it can play out, especially when there's point totals, like, you know, if Kansas City is dropping 40 points, like there's a lot of different ways that, that can go, even if there's a most likely expectation, um, some of these other guys could get in, get in there. So, yeah, no, I'm I'm excited to talk about this offense for sure.
2: Yeah, just even on the macro on this, this game features two teams that are ranked number one and number four in uh, net pass DVOA. So if you take the offense and the defense, add them together, divide, whatever. Uh, same thing on net DSR. We have the number one, number two teams, respectively, between Chiefs and Washington. Uh, both teams are in the top three for net adjusted sack rates, so they're not really taking sacks. And... Uh, Time of possession is showing. There's about three and a half minutes in additional play time, or an additional time, which could possibly lead to more plays. So, the macro on this environment is just a slam dunk. So it's like (laughs) it's like one of those games. It's like how can it fail, and then now watch it fail.
3: (laughs) I I think I wrote something too. Where. Kansas City and Washington are the number one and two in terms of allowing the most points and highest rates of scoring drive. So teams are just scoring at will against both these teams. So it, it, it should be a fireworks show, you know, like Kansas City is coming off basically the exact opposite matchup in how Buffalo has been playing to now like the complete opposite end of the spectrum. So it should be it should be easy pickings for this offense, theoretically.
2: Yeah, and Washington's still trying to figure out their defense. They're playing 5-D linemen and blitzing at like a 59% rate last week. Playing one linebacker, five defensive backs. So they're playing a 5-1-5 on defense, and they've got guys just confused. The linebackers are confused. You've got uh, William Jackson, who's used to playing more man, is having trouble passing guys off in zone. And even when they are playing man, he's getting getting burnt so i don't know rivera is saying that it's just like a few plays here and there but if you watch the games like jackson's letting guys catch balls in front of them all game long like if they're just running out patterns and stuff he's he's not on top of those so i I don't know how he's going to keep up with hill in this game um i don't know how the linebackers are going to stop kelsey so like the main three guys with casey mahomes kelsey and hill all have just dream matchups this week
3: yeah, you yeah, actually to jump in there too, something that I've been keeping track of, like over the last couple of years, at least that I remember about Washington is like, I think overall, even in the years they were performing better, they've been getting killed by like deep balls, like throughout the last couple of years. Um, so now you insert, you know, Mahomes and Tyree kill and these guys in there. It's just kind of a dream spot for a few just massive uh, plays down the field.
2: Yeah, Washington allows the fifth highest defensive A dot and second most air yards. So that's that's true this year too.
1: Yeah, you got that. And then one of the other things you had in your notes, Lex, is that only only Kansas City has allowed more QB DK points than Washington. So we've got that. Uh, I guess, you know, looking at these guys specifically, I think I really Looking at it from like, how can this fail is is an interesting way to go here, because uh, like we see the clear path to the the Chiefs just like destroying here on offense. Um, so, yeah, I guess in, in what world, like how does Tyreek Hill fail or how does Travis Kelsey fail or uh, you know, even Mahomes in this spot, do we have anything from, from a data perspective or just how we're viewing this game environment?
3: Uh, I mean, I think you can expect them to score points. Um, if you're, if you're saying it fails, it's just because it underperforms like the massive output that is expected. And that could be, you know, Kansas city has been pretty loose with the ball. So maybe there's a few turnovers and High leverage situations, like in the red zone. Uh, I mean, maybe they're without the running game. You know, with Ceh gone, they they really have two guys who are not very effective um, as runners. So maybe they just it makes them more a little bit more one dimensional. Washington's able to play defense better um, as a result of that. But you know, their weakest part is also their secondary. So Kansas City passing more night might not exactly be the best thing for them. Anyway, so I think it's more just yeah, it's like turnovers. Maybe it's. Chase Young, some of those guys get a couple nice jumps off the ball um, that and a couple drives with sacks. But realistically, I, I think it's very, very hard to see Kansas City not at least putting up, you know, three to four touchdowns in this spot.
2: Right, and that's a matter of where those three to four touchdowns come from. Like if you're getting one from everybody... Uh, you got one from Hill, one from Kelsey. Williams runs one in, maybe McKinnon runs one in or the defense scores one. And that's kind of the the way it would fail depending on who you roster is if guys are just getting, you know, barely getting 100 yards, not even 100 yards and a touchdown and you're paying 8,500 for Tyreek Hill for 98 yards and a touchdown, you're going to kind of get burned on that. So it's kind of the only way it can fail is if the touchdowns just get too spread out and Heineke was making some bad choices last week on some of his throws. So it's definitely possible KC could bring one back for a touchdown on an interception or something and just kind of tilt the game into that direction a little bit early or even late.
3: Yeah, that's actually a great point. Like uh, the distribution wise, like maybe Kansas city's lack of a run game just allows them to at least focus more on Hill and Kelsey. So maybe the scoring, gets a little bit more distributed, maybe like, yeah, just said Washington's offense doesn't perform like uh, we would hope. And that just leads to Kansas City being a little bit less aggressive. You know, there's those are, I guess, the ways you can look at it. I'm um, underperforming like the massive expectations.
1: Yeah, I think the other way to or, or kind of a part of that would be if that happens, if they score, you know, four times and it is relatively spread out. And for whatever reason, we'll get into this in in a minute or two here, but. Uh, Washington can't keep pace and Kansas City doesn't really need to push it then then that could happen too I guess the other the only other really thing that I could see is excuse me uh, if if Williams happens to to run one in or like you said Jess you know you split two between Williams and McKinnon and you don't have those touchdowns to go around but um, yeah that's Really kind of the only way here, but speaking of let's flip to the other side of the ball here with Heineke, you know, Jess, you had pointed out he's made some mistakes. I saw some of those games too. And yeah, definitely forced some throws but when he's been playing weaker defenses, he has been capitalizing on it and he's looked good both through the air and on the ground and Kansas city sets up as not one of those good defenses. So Lex uh, thoughts, or notes, thoughts or notes on
3: that? Yeah, I, I just wrote in there like basically about how bad Kansas city has been versus quarterbacks to start the year and how Heineke's had distinct differences between the, the good defenses he played in Buffalo, New Orleans, and the bad ones versus the Giants and the Falcons. So, I think this is a an easier spot for him. It you know lends itself to a, um, a better game for him. Kansas City has been getting crushed on the ground by quarterbacks, and Heineke's got you know twenty one and a touchdown, forty three and forty in the last three games on the ground. So he's definitely shown at least you know some effectiveness as a runner. So uh, Kansas City's not forcing much pressure. Uh, the turnovers haven't really been there just with how many weeks, bucks weak spots they've had to attack in that secondary so far this year. So I, I think that the spot is great for, you know, Heineke like, you're still betting on a, you know, mediocre talent at quarterback. So, you know, there's obviously ways that it can underperform, but uh, in terms of like what you want from a matchup, it's, it's pretty great for him this week, especially if Chris Jones is still out.
2: Yeah. And KC actually has the worst run DVOA. On the slate. So, I mean, that Washington's going to want to try and run the ball with Gibson as much as possible and try and keep Mahomes off the field. And if KC's letting them run between Heineke and Gibson, I think that sets up for a way this can fail is if somehow Washington ends up eating up most of that available time of possession and they're you know just kind of killing the clock but the thing with the chiefs too is they're they're still tough against wide receivers they're only allowing like 50 percent of the target share to go out to wide receivers and most teams are usually above 55 percent um 50 percent of the targets are going to the tight ends and running backs you got ricky seals jones in a narrative game here against a former employer. And then McKissick was 5,000 last week. He's only 4,800 this week. He'll probably be involved as well, especially if this game turns into a shootout or Washington gets behind. He kind of got forgotten last week because they didn't need him as much. So if they're playing from behind, you can look at McKissick, maybe Ricky Seals-Jones. But yeah, definitely. I think Gibson and uh, Heineke are the most interesting plays on the Washington side.
1: Yeah, I think with that, by the way, Jess, getting just like a little bit of feedback from your mic um, uh, so I don't know if the audio is a little bit loud on your end, maybe, but, um, with that, yeah, I, I think this is like a, a game where it's really important to like build rosters really, really intelligently around because like you're saying, Jess, it's like you're, you're kind of banking on one way or another, or maybe Washington gets out to, or, is, you know, maybe not to a lead, but is able to keep pace right off the bat, and Gibson gets some run before maybe the Chiefs start to pull away. Uh, but then, of course, the other game script, which is probably going to be more likely, and who knows if the field will be building for it, is that Washington goes behind relatively early, and McKissick sees the field quite a bit more, <clears throat> or, or has more opportunity relative to Gibson and uh, their their relative price points so no that's kind of what i'm thinking there in terms of uh strategy but lex notes on skill positions from washington and how they line up against this kansas city yeah
3: i like everything you guys are saying especially with kansas city being so weak on the ground it lends itself to more sustained drives for washington which just kind of helps their overall offensive situation um gibson's injury is like a little bit concerning just because it's a chin thing that he's basically gonna have to manage the rest of the year you know it seems like for most of the what the doctors are saying on twitter Uh, but you know it's a great matchup um that's kind of like and you know doctors that have twitter accounts uh, not like just these (laughs) joe Schmoes on twitter but uh (laughs) It definitely, if, if you're betting on Kansas city, jumping out to a lead at first, which is probably the most likely scenario But yeah, that probably helps McKissick out. Kansas city has been really rough through running backs versus the air. Um, what else? Oh yeah. So the wide receivers is interesting because with Spagnuolo, Kansas city has just been, you just basically avoid playing wide receivers versus them over the last couple of years. They've been like second, they've allowed the second fewest wide receiver DK points in 2019 and 20 uh, but this year so far they're allowing the 14th most so like jess was saying they're still not getting targeted as much as like some other teams, just because they've also been so weak first running backs and tight ends in the air but a couple wide receivers have still had some nice games this year versus kansas city in a way that we haven't seen in the previous seasons so i, I do like the spot for McLaurin um just because he's been so dominant in market share this year and with samuel still dealing with an injury we don't know if Diami brown is playing um, Humphreys is still only getting just a couple looks a game. So, you know, I, especially with Logan Thomas out on top of it, you know, I think McLaurin from a usage standpoint, you know, really stands out this week, even if it's not the most ideal matchup. Um, you know, it's a super high total game. He's dominating market share. Um, the defense has been hemorrhaging points overall. So I, I, I like that spot for him. You know, he can be played in a, he could be the reason why Washington jumps out to a lead, but he could also be the you know the guy that's benefiting the most from Washington trailing. So I, I don't know, I kind of like just the overall spot for him. The other wide receivers, I mean, maybe in game sacks, but so far, none of their usage, you know, has really stood out. I know Samuel was getting some popularity last week, but it seems like he is even dealing with like an even new injury now too. So I don't really know what's going on with that. Um and then the tight end spot, it that's a I mean, that's another one where I think Jam was just saying on his classroom thing last night about how, you know, even if RSJ had got up to 40%, you know like he was still a good player. Like you can differentiate elsewhere. It's like, with the state of the tight end position. And like we could run into the same thing this week that even if he's drawing popularity at like a cheap price, like he's getting, you know, what it was like 90, 90 some percent usage from from Washington tight ends last week without Thomas. And Kansas City's just been absolutely killed by tight ends this year. So just getting that kind of cheap usage, like even if it's a disappointing game, it's like you, you couldn't ask for a better matchup and game environment. So um i, I kind of like you know him in that's this spot too and then you just have to find ways like if you're dealing with the more popular plays in this game then you obviously have to differentiate elsewhere i mean a couple of weeks ago you know at the beginning of the season with that chargers dallas game the whole conversation was about how the other game sure like maybe they outperformed them which, which they did but it was like the likelihood you know is maybe not as high as in terms of like what you want to bet on so it's just easier to to try to bank on like what's most likely to happen, and then differentiate in other spots. So maybe that's the way that you approach this: is like this game is just so likely to be the high scoring one on the slate. Then you just find other ways to differentiate your rosters.
1: Yes. Thoughts on McLaurin, RSJ, and yeah, just to pass catchers there.
2: Yeah, I, like I was saying, I, I think. Uh... RSJ has a good shot here because of how weak Kansas city has been to tight ends. Uh, It's usually just kind of underneath stuff, but that could lead to a touchdown for him and he'll get plenty of targets. Uh, 23% of KC's defensive targets are going to tight ends, which is on the higher side. Uh, McLaurin. Yeah. If you're looking at wide receivers for Washington, uh, you definitely don't want the slot. Matthew's shutting down the slot. So you want to go outside Uh, McLaurin's target share market share and all that. Like, He's their best bet. He's their most talented player. I know DeAndre Carter was getting some looks last week, but I don't know how strong of a play he's going to be this week. If you're going to a Washington receiver, then it's got to be McLaurin.
0: Yeah, I think both those guys are
1: at least interesting. And again, just kind of figuring out how you want to play it. Kind of like you were saying, Lex, there. Yeah. You know, do you just take these guys in this game and differentiate elsewhere Uh, with just kind of to like wrap up this side of the ball? Make sure we're touching on everything here. Uh, Kansas City ranks 32nd in defensive rush DVOA. One of the things that I thought was interesting from your notes, Lex, was that most rushing yards allowed have come from QBs, though. So that was interesting, uh, especially because Heineke can run and they've they've been allowing some receiving yards to running backs, though. So even if all of those rushing yards haven't come on the ground, uh, they are still allowing that, which is interesting, given what we were mentioning about McKissick. So I don't know if you guys have any
3: additional thoughts on that. Um, I was hearing a little bit of an echo there at the end, just, I don't know like on whose end, but just, um, but what you were saying, yeah, I do. I actually do think that's interesting because yeah, 32nd in rushing DVOA, but the running backs, like they've only allowed the 14th uh, or like the 14th fewest running, running back rush yard, just because, you know, the, the DVOA is, DVO is being skewed a little bit by like Lamar's performance and Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen and stuff. So I, I do think that that's something to keep in mind. Now, I don't think that that means that they're a good run defense because they're not. They haven't been for the last few years and nothing's changed this year. But it, I think a lot of that production is going through those quarterbacks. And so it's interesting to keep in mind, you know, if you're thinking like, oh, this is like the dream spot for Gibson, which, yeah, it's a plus matchup, but they've actually not allowed as many, you know, running back rush yards as you would think based on that, you know, that kind of information about how the rushing defense has performed.
2: Well, and how much they play man, too. That's what's given those quarterbacks yeah. an opportunity to take off because their backs are turned to the quarterback. So in a way, maybe that works against J.D. McKissick in this this way. Maybe Heineke is looking to run and he's not looking to just dump off. So that could factor into to rostering McKissick at a value play. It's like, is he going to get the targets or is Heineke just going to take off and run?
1: Yeah, I think with that, too, again like all this comes back to like just making sure when you're building a roster around this game there is a very coherent story that you're telling with it because that's going to be the thing that the field while they're going to be on this game they may not be doing that well Uh, so i think that would be the biggest thing there just kind of like a a note uh, you know personal note here i think it's kind of interesting to i don't i haven't looked at pricing this early in the week yet but just from uh, a little bit of a, a strategy perspective. Heinecke is kind of interesting to me, just in like the, you know, given though he should see opportunity, like he's going to likely have to play catch up. And, uh, you know, kind of this idea we've talked about a lot at OWS of like getting exposure to Mahomes and that offense through Heineke. And so, you know, if he's a few thousand less than Mahomes or whatever. Uh, he could potentially be a solid play if if he's only going to be scoring eight points less than Mahomes or something like that um, so you know definitely not necessarily uh, a lock there but just in terms of getting exposure to the other side of the ball that's something that I'll at least be considering any other thoughts on this guys or are we good to roll to the next game
3: you're I good. think I'm good. I would just keep an eye on, a uh, Tyree kill, you know, his injury status with him, like missing practice there. Um, cause that could obviously change a lot, but, uh, in terms of everything else we talked about, yeah, I'm ready to move on.
1: All right. Sounds good. And yeah, Jess, we're still getting a little bit of feedback from you. I don't know if the, your speakers are close to the mic or something like that, but just a heads up there. Okay. All right. I'll try
2: right. Am I, is it when I'm not talking, you're getting feedback? Correct. Okay. I'll make sure I'm, yeah, you're like, I'm not yeah, talking. Okay. okay. Cool.
1: All right. Next game Dallas at New England. So, in this spot, we've got a story of two teams who have looked quite different uh, from a game environment and scoring perspective so far this year, which makes for a pretty interesting setup. So we are going to dive in here and just see if there's anything to uncover that is interesting from a DFS standpoint. Let's start out with the uh, the things that are a little bit more known in in this game. Uh, so four out of five Dallas games have gone for a total of 60 plus, while three of five New England games have been in the 30s in terms of total scoring. And the high of those was of all those five games was 47. We've been talking about Dallas on the pod here. They're running the ball frequently. They're running it well, and they are passing as needed with high efficiency. On the defensive side of the ball here, we've got New England, who has been strong up until somehow uh, completely falling apart versus Davis Mills and the Texans last week. So Lex, I'll kind of let you run with this here. Are we expecting something similar from the Dallas offense and what might that look like?
3: Yeah, it's an interesting spot just because, you know, like you were saying about the totals, Dallas games are, you know, these higher scoring games with them being so efficient on offense. And then new England's kind of played these just low slug it out type games. Uh, I think Dallas should be able to put up points here in the sense that what they do really well, which is run the ball right now is what new England defends the least well right now. But, uh, what new England has been effective at still under Belichick, which is kind of a staple is they've been really effective in the red zone, like preventing those touchdowns. So it could be one of those games, you know, ways that it fails for Dallas is that they're able to move the ball, but then they just kind of stumble in the red zone and kick a bunch of field goals. Uh, so that would be an interesting way that it could play out. Maybe, Dak throws some interceptions. I mean, New England's defense is even though they played really rough last week versus Davis Mills, like maybe that you take it as like emotional letdown after, you know, all the buildup of playing Brady and probably the amount of time that went into that game plan and maybe overlooking this like rookie quarterback on a bad Houston team. So I still think that they're going to be a fairly elite pass defense throughout the season. They just have a lot of talent, and then they've obviously got Belichick. So it's not exactly the most targetable spot for the Dallas passing game offense, especially when the run game sets up well for them. And, and on top of that, like Dallas has been barely throwing the ball the last few weeks because of how effective the run game's been. So I, I don't really know. I mean, obviously this game could play out anyways, like Dak could end up with a few touchdowns and that's how, you know, the game plays out. But I, I tend to, at least from the most likely to happen, I think the Dallas run game is in a better spot. And I do think this is a game where, Dallas's offense is effective, but maybe doesn't put up quite the lofty point totals they've had in the last few weeks, just because of how new England performs in the, you know, high leverage situations.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, new England, traditionally they'll let you run on, on them as, until you get down to the red zone and then they stiffen up and you can't really punch them in. So I think that's where this could be a good game for the running game in Dallas, but then it comes down to Dak playing that efficient, low volume passing role. He's going to throw for, three touchdowns and maybe there'll be one rushing touchdown um new england's allowing the fifth highest defensive a dot so that's kind of interesting uh looks like cooper's kind of got the the highest a dot for dallas and he's starting to look a little healthier so if we're looking at kind of where the explosive plays could come from perhaps you know dak does kind of chuck it over their head while they're expecting run in between the 20s um otherwise the New England defense is pretty stingy across the board. Most of their the points that they're allowing are going to slot receivers, so that could be lamb and they can even run lamb deep on that and try and get take advantage of that defensive a dot.
1: yeah, I think when we're talking about the pass catchers on this offense, you know we talked about this previously on the pod, but they're just the. Volume is not there. Uh, the, the efficiency has been. Uh, I just thought it was interesting. Lex, you had that no more than six targets uh, for either Cooper or lamb over the past three games. Uh, uh, Dalton Schultz has been the target leader recently. Uh, he's been producing on those targets. And with that, the going back to the receiver specifically, there haven't really been true had to have it games under McCarthy. You know, there's definitely been solid performances, but in terms of like real blow up games or uh, these like massive ceiling games, they just haven't really been there. And you know, with this low volume, I think that's just like really interesting uh, because you you know you could play it one way where. Like you were saying, Jess, you know, playing Cooper and kind of uh, banking on like a big play, maybe two touchdowns. Those don't go through the run game like most people think they will. But you're, you you got to know that you're you're betting on something that is kind of not the the most likely situation here. Situation here. Uh, thoughts uh, on thoughts any of on that, any or of do that we want to we jump over to the run game? I'd like to add uh, to that.
3: Yeah, um, Jess, go, go first. first.
2: Yeah. So Dalton Schultz has led Dallas in targets for the last three weeks. Um, He's getting third down targets. He's getting end zone targets. However, you got new England's only allowing 5.5 points per game to tight ends. They haven't really played any good ones yet. They played Gronk in week one. Schultz's price is increasing. I kind of feel like this could be like that regression game for both the receivers and Dalton Schultz. So I think Schultz kind of takes a little bit more of a back seat here. I think the the receivers might see some extra targets and maybe one of them actually hits, Um, especially with them, you know, tightening up in that red zone area. So if they're not rushing them in and if they're smothering Dalton Schultz, then those are going to filter out to the wide receivers.
3: Yeah, it's really weird that Schultz is leading this team in targets right now after uh, since week two, just with the, you know, with obviously the re- elite receivers that they have. Um, there's not, you can't really judge how New England's performed against tight ends so far just because it's been like Croft and Bray and Aikens and like Smite, even Gesicki didn't even play like half the snaps in that game in week one. so you can't really judge it based on that, but I think like just the same, like they're, they're obviously a really good team in the red zone. So that maybe takes away some of his touchdown equity. Um, He's, he's unlikely to lead the team in you know, catches and yards for the rest of the year, just with having lamb and Cooper, just, I feel like there's some regression coming there. Um, And then going back to the receivers, like, so I do think it's interesting. Yeah. So Dak has played nine games with McCarthy and in three of them, A wide receiver has scored over 20. So six of them, one of the receivers, like no one's even scored 20 points from the receivers. And I think a lot of that's because like Dak has a little bit of rushing equity. And then obviously Zeke and Pollard are getting enough usage that even when Dallas scores a lot of points, a lot of the scoring can filter through them. And then the ones that they did kind of go off, it was like that Seattle shootout, the Cleveland shootout, and then the Tampa Bay shootout in week one, where like, you can't run against Tampa like this year. So I don't think that that's how this game plays out with Mac Jones New England offense on the other side, you know, one of those crazy 40, 40 point, you know, 40 points on each side type games. So, I it's not exactly the kind of matchup that I want to take on one of these receivers, especially when, you know, it's not like it's just a poor environment, but it's not a great matchup either. That's the strength of New England's defense is having, you know, these good strong cornerbacks. So, I I don't know, the whole passing game is just kind of like, eh, like it's just a way to look at this game if it plays out you know differently than they expect like maybe they are more effective stopping you know zeke and Pollard on the ground which forces dallas more to the air or unexpectedly dallas uh, sorry new england takes like an early lead so uh, and then dallas has to pass more but in terms of like the environment the matchup is just not a great spot and we've got a history now not a small not a big history like it's only you know what i like i said nine games but not a very big sample of dallas receivers you know needing to be on your roster
1: yeah i think with all of that i'm really just kind of interested from a football perspective what this game is going to look like how these coaches you know it feels like this could be like a a little bit more of a chess match uh if these coaches come in and try to do what they want to do and there's kind of limited success or it stays like really close for a while Uh, i'd be curious i feel like these coaches have the ability to dial some stuff up. So I'm, I'm just curious as a football fan, like in the second half, what this game could turn into if it does kind of underwhelm or stay close early on. Uh, so with that, let's why don't we just finish off. We, we talked a little bit about this last week, too. Uh, but let's just make sure do our due diligence here and talk about the backfield, the split between Zeke and Pollard. And kind of like what you alluded to, Lex, having a, a pretty good like a plus matchup here on the ground. So I'll throw it to you first.
3: Yeah, it's like Jess was saying, you know, New England's content to let them let other teams run on them and then just tighten up in the red zone. So we've seen like a I think every backfield to so far versus New England has at least like hundred and ten yards. Um, so they've been allowing a lot of yardage production to these running backs. And then Dallas, what they wanted to do is run the ball. They've run um I don't know, I don't remember how. Yeah, 29, 31, 30 and 35 times between their running backs in the last four games. So, they're giving a ton of handoffs to these two guys. Um, New England's faced 17, 28, 27, 26 and 23 attempts. So, they're get, you know, that like, like we were just saying, they they want teams to run on them. Um, they don't have the best guys to stop the run, but they've only allowed one running back rush touchdown and one running back receiving touchdown through five games. So, it's very possible Zeke can have one of those 100, 120 yard games and no touchdowns. And then, you know, then he's not really worth putting on there, but, you know, I don't know. That's just, I don't really have much more to add other than it's a, you know, one of those spots where it's good from an overall production, but it's going to be tougher to actually put up a, like have to have a score just with how effective new England is at preventing touchdowns.
2: Yeah, I agree. I agree with the, the way new England plays defense. I think it's kind of going to bring everybody a little bit up short on the Dallas side, as far as chasing points goes, like maybe one guy puts up over 20, but it's, it's not going to be broad. And if it is one guy putting up over 20, it's probably going to be Dak would be my, my guess.
1: All right. Talked All right. about Dallas enough there. Let's move over to the other side of the ball and Started the quarterback position with Mac Jones, who, Lex, you can give a little bit more specifics here if you want, but has looked pretty different, uh, almost like what we were talking about with Heineke last game, uh, but different in that the, the the way he looks in games that are wins and the way he's looked in games that are losses. So why don't we start there, Lex?
3: Yeah. Uh, he's only thrown 30 pass attempts in the two wins and then thrown 39, 51 and 40 times in their losses. So basically they're, they, what they want to do is run the ball, but when they've been unable to do so, or they need to play catch up, then they've allowed Mac Jones to throw a bit more. Um, they're an underdog to Dallas by four at home. So that really, what that really says is Dallas should be, and would even be a much bigger favorite on neutral field. Um, they've been Facing pass attempts themselves of 50, 41, 39, 39, 38. So teams are falling behind versus Dallas. They're needing to throw the ball a bunch. Uh, Dallas has allowed over 300 yards to every passer except one, and that was 294. You know, and I think that was like the combined total of Glennon and Jones last week. So they've just been getting passed on a ton just based on the volume. They rank seventh in pass DVOA right now, but I, I, I don't know how DVOA is calculated. Maybe a lot of that is due to all the interceptions they've forced. Um, or just because like they've got so much volume that it, they've been more effective on a per play basis. But, you know, if Jones is needs to throw more, he certainly is in the right spot to do that. Dallas is just, you know, allowing a ton of yards. And this is a spot where maybe those, um, that volume turns into a bigger day for Jones and at least like maybe one of those receivers. Yes. Yeah.
0: Thoughts, yes. On thoughts on Jones there. Jones
3: there. Jones there
2: yeah as far as the this slate goes, Mac Jones is facing the the team allowing the most pass attempts against him. Um, and as New England has the the fourth worst net pass DVOA, but it's like Lex is saying it's like, is that because of all the interceptions because Dallas is allowing over three hundred yards per game through the air um they're allowing. The third most 20 plus yard pass plays, fourth most 40 plus yard pass plays. Uh, they might get Donovan Wilson back, which would help with that. But I mean, if if New England wants to attack them deep, that's kind of where Dallas has been susceptible. They're playing a lot of cover one and they're not getting pressure. So there's a pl- plenty of time for the quarterback to sit back there, digest the defense and, and pick where he wants to go. Um uh, Mac Jones, he's an uncomfortable play, but he's 5,200 and he has, he is facing a defense that could allow him to throw for 300, especially if Dallas is leading in this game by a couple of scores for most of the game. Um, he's just, he's hard to pair with anybody. Cause you I, I don't really want to correlate him with anybody on Dallas's side. Cause even though you're thinking of Dallas is running up the score on this, like who do you correlate them with? And then who do you stack them with on his own team? Looking at Dallas's defense, like the best place to attack them is with tight ends and whoever Anthony Brown is covering. So it's like you got two good tight ends there and you've got two guys that kind of would rotate against Anthony Brown and that's Aguilar and born uh, Meyer mostly in the slot. So it's, it's just one of those weird games. Like there are players that look like they might, able to do okay <laughs> and i kind of do i like mac jones is somebody i'll think about for a while just based on his his 5200 salary but i don't know if i'll end up landing on him here but Dallas is a team you can attack so it's it's an interesting spot for for the patriots offense anyway
3: yeah i'll add here so i was just looking at it uh dallas has allowed the most yards after catch this year um, they're forcing a little bit, kind of a mediocre dot. So I think that sets up pretty well from what this New England offense does in the past game. Jones isn't really throwing it down the field. Myers is the, you know, not only is he kind of the alpha of this New England wide receiver group, but he also has the shortest dot. So kind of lends itself to more yards after the catch. So it is a pretty good spot for him. He's been getting used a little bit more on the outside lately than the slot in the first three weeks. So I don't know, maybe he sees a little bit more digs than some people would expect based on that recent usage but uh, he certainly is the only guy who's had pretty bankable volume in terms of their uh, wide receiver room this year. But uh, like, yeah, like I, I just, the only reason I want to add that in, sorry, I'm rambling now, but that that yards at the catch just really stood out to me because like they've allowed the most by like, I think it was like 50 yards or something, which, you know, you just the little of these dump offs. A lot of that's because of the running backs for the year too. So again, that's something that Mac Jones is content to do, throw it to these running backs. So I, I do think it's a spot where Mac Jones can rack up a lot of yards, but like Jess is saying, it's kind of difficult to find the leverage in this game, just with the lack of, you know, necessary bringbacks on the Dallas side, and just kind of like, what are you really gaining from this game? But other than maybe the cheap salaries, but yeah, that's so I, I think that's interesting to keep in mind too.
1: Yeah, and with that too, just uh, an extra stat there: no receiver has posted a tourney winning score thus far from the, the from the Patriots. I've only had one score over 20 DK points. So just kind of continues to point to how thin that is. And again, I mean, really feels like it does come down to you'd have to bank on the 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 story line for this game and what that looks like. And you know, the only way that these guys reach their ceilings is if you know Dallas is up by two or three touchdowns or something like that, you know, 17 points where they really, really have to push this, and as we kind of explored earlier, uh, you know, it seems like that'll probably be pretty unlikely in this situation. But just to to kind of finish off uh, the side of the ball, or at least with the let's go to the the tight ends here because that was kind of has been a little bit of a story. You know, Hunter Henry uh, had some production, and Janu is you know they they've made this massive. Uh, pick up in the off season, paid him a bunch, and he's just kind of blocking and not really doing too much on the stat sheet. So, anything worthwhile with those guys? Uh, Henry seeing more of the snaps. Janu is just kind of staying in and blocking on less of those. Any thoughts on those two guys, Lex?
3: Yeah, Henry might be my favorite in this game, like maybe outside of Jacoby, just because uh, tight ends have been really effective versus Dallas so far. Um, they've allowed a lot of production, and a lot of those guys are spending time in the slot. Which Henry is playing 51% of his snaps in the slot. He is running like almost double the routes that Jonu is, and Jonu has been declined. Like he's run less in every single game, whereas Henry's just been really steady um, at like the 70% 60% range. So I think the spot for Henry is really nice. He's got. Uh, six, five, and eight targets in the last three games as John's usage, usage has gone down. He just had a really nice game versus another weak tight end defense in Houston. Um, he's got his, you know, uh, where, what else did I have for him? I, I just, I don't know if I had anything else other than just, uh, oh yeah. So his A dot is like double that of John or two. So he's being used in a more valuable role downfield. Um, he's getting, he's got touchdowns and back-to-back games. So he's getting used in the red zone. I, I think that if Dallas, I'm sorry, if new England needs to throw more, He's probably the most likely to benefit of everyone outside of like um, Jacoby, so I, I I think that he's a very interesting this game, just especially with the weakness of the tight end spot. So if you're able to, you know, plug him in in a good spot, it's tough to put him in any kind of game stack, I guess, just with the way we've talked about this game. But um, I, I just I think the spot is really nice at a weak position. <laughs>
2: And, uh, something to think about with Jonu too is you are saying how Dallas allows so much yards after the catch. That's, oh, that's actually true, yeah, New that's true, yeah. signed Jonu Smith is because they wanted his his athleticism af- after the catch and you got New England has the third worst net rush DVOA on the slate so they might not be able to run the ball that might be their running game is Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry and Jacoby Meyer. They're just quick dump offs so it's just something I, I don't know if I could play Jonu Smith but just kind of you know, putting the pieces together, it it could be a game where he finally does something, and maybe not a tournament-winning score, but he might actually produce what they were hoping for.
3: No, that's true. No, it, that's it actually true. is a good matchup for him. It's even though it's a, it's going to be one of those plays that feels like disgusting put on your roster because his routes have gone from like the last few weeks at like twenty-seven percent, thirty-eight percent, nineteen percent. So he's really losing usage. But yeah, like maybe if they have to pass more, and with the way dallas defense plays like maybe it is a spot where he outperforms henry and stuff so that is interesting i i I didn't think about that until
0: you just said it
1: all right let's wrap this game up with talking about the running backs here so we've had uh, damien harris who's had injuries and fumbling problems and then brandon Bolden kind of stepped into the james white role he's getting next to no carries and then Ramondre stevenson uh, just a really rough showing last week. I think his line was like 23 yards and 11 carries or something like that. Uh, so thoughts on those guys, is anything viable here or should we pass it up?
2: No. I'm going to pass. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, it's just, there's just no one getting enough usage. Like, I mean, Harris is leading the backfield, but he also has some like fumbling issues. Dallas has been pretty solid, at least. You know, against the run, even though they've allowed a lot lot of running back receiving yards, um, which would be Bolden's area right now, but Bolden's just not getting enough usage to really be a valuable fantasy player. So, I I think I would just stay away. I I really think the only things you can really attack in this game are you know the tight ends and like Henry could maybe be a one off, but like Johnny is probably best if you're just expecting. A little bit more Dallas scoring, which then leads to more pass volume for New England. Same with Myers, probably. Henry's the only one that I would really like, even just alone. And even that doesn't feel great.
2: Well, and Dallas only allows uh, like basically half a touchdown per game. They've allowed three touchdowns and two of them were to Darnold. So they're not really letting running backs get in the end zone. And Harris is so the way they're splitting usage between their backs. Harris is getting all the carries Bolden's getting all the catches. Neither guy really amounts to a must-have score, so it's it, the backfields are just an avoid for me.
0: Yep. Yeah. I echo all that.
1: Yeah, I think the only thing that was even somewhat interesting to me was uh, Bolden's role in this. Kind of like what you were saying about Janu. Just uh, you know, if if they're going to try to throw the ball a little, a little dump offs to be an extension of the run game you know, James White has had some productive games over his career, but again, still feels a little bit thin and hard. You know, I'm a single entry player, so uh, you know, not really viable for me, but interesting if you're playing more large field stuff, maybe.
3: Let me say really quick. So the only problem, so the biggest problem with that with Bolden is he's not, he's only getting like two thirds of the James White role, like James White, like he's, Bolden's getting targets like James White would, but he's not getting like any carries. Like James White at least is still getting used a little bit on the ground and he probably has a little bit of a higher target ceiling. So Bolden's just like where James White could, would be, would have actually been really interesting in this spot. Bolden just doesn't, even though he's taken some of the white role, he hasn't taken the full role. So that's why it'd be complete stay away from me.
1: All right, let's move on to our final game. For today, we've got Cincinnati at Detroit. So obviously here we have two teams who the field are not really likely to fully understand or get excited about at all. Uh, And so they're probably not going to think too much past that. So we figured we would take a look and see if there's anything under the surface that might be worth paying attention to. Starting with the Detroit offense and how they set up against the defense. Uh, just kind of a to, to start this off here, Cincinnati ranks 12th in defensive pass DVOA. And something that I found interesting from what you shared with me, Lex, is that no QB has thrown for three touchdowns against them. Yet this year and they've actually faced some decent quarterback play uh thoughts on that and what this setup looks like for golf and the detroit offense
3: uh it's hard to, to know what to make of this defense so far um cousins and Rodgers and ben all went in for over 300 but none of them played exceptional and then rogers and cousins also had overtime to boost their stats a little bit uh, and then they were really effective versus lawrence and the chicago quarterbacks so it's just kind of a mixed bag. You know, they've I, I don't really know. Goff doesn't exactly fall in the Rogers, you know, category of those quarterbacks. He'd fall more in the other one. So it could be a tougher spot. He just lost his center, you know, for the rest of the season. And uh since losing his center, he's been sacked like eight times and lost three fumbles just in the last two games. Granted, Chicago and Minnesota have pretty good pass rushes. Um, but Cincinnati has had a good amount of sacks this year. But I know you did note in there, because I, I wrote in the matchups like they They've had a lot of sacks, but they still have had a pretty low pressure rate. So they're just happening to get home a little bit more um, than the pressure would indicate they would. So maybe that regresses a bit. Um, Detroit might get Taylor Decker back this week at left tackle, but A Sewell was playing worse at right tackle in the preseason when he was kind of playing out of position. So I don't know what happens there. Maybe he you know, has a few plays or he gets beat just from the, with the unfamiliar, unfamiliarity of that side and leads to some bad golf turnovers. Um, it's just kind of a weird spot. I really don't know what to make of this Cincinnati defense so far. It's hard to really tell, you know, this early in the season, what, what they are. Um, and Detroit's offense has obviously been weird too. Like they've had some good games and some, some bad games. So yeah, I'm kind of at yeah, a loss right now for that past game.
2: Uh, Anna Rumo, he tries to, to keep the ball in front, like just for short area throws. Uh, Cincinnati's allowing the fifth lowest defensive a dot sixth lowest air yards. So he's kind of doing what he's been doing all along and just kind of pulling back the lens on this game. It could be a really slow pace game. So there may not be a lot of plays to go around on this one. Both teams are among the slowest in situational situation, neutral pace. Both are above 33 seconds per play when they're in that situation um the thing with cincinnati is they're set up to have explosive plays if they want them and then i it- but do they need to take them? Like they they might be able to just control this game on the ground, especially if well, even, they may not even need Mixon. But if Mixon's healthy, then that's going to slow the game down a ton. And that's basically what Detroit wants to do too—is run the ball. So the overall environment of this game could just be just a slugfest. Like nobody's really going to Detroit's not going to be able to pass deep. It's not what Golf does. It's not what it, the Cincinnati defense allows. Um, it's yeah. <laughs> and losing the center maybe getting Decker back. There's just it, Detroit's a mess. Um I, I don't see how they're they're going to be able to do much in this one.
3: Yeah, I'll say yeah. I think as we go through more of this game, the only way I almost want to play it outside of maybe like mixing is game stack wise, like you're basically banking on Detroit having success which forces Cincinnati to be a little bit more aggressive which helps the volume of like a guy like chase or Higgins, just because without, you know, that without that volume, they're just probably not going to get enough targets to put up a have to have it score, even in a plus matchup Um, Detroit's just so weak on the ground that Cincinnati is probably going to be able to do what they want, which is run the ball. So I think that the only way to really attack it and we'll go through all the individual type matchups, but uh, the only really way to look at it is if Detroit's scoring more than expected and pushes Cincinnati to be aggressive. Cause otherwise I think it's exactly going to play out. Like Jess said, just a slow kind of slugfest.
1: Yeah, with that, I think to to just like quickly go over the the pass catching situation here for the Lions. Uh, one of the things that I found interesting from your notes, Lex, is that Devontae Adams is the only receiver to go over 100 yards versus Cincinnati, which matches up with what you were saying, Lex. And, you know, clearly he is one of a kind here. Uh, And then, you know, 2 we've got just kind of a mess at wide receiver, you know, for the Lions. We got Khalif Raymond, who was productive until last week. Uh, Amin St. Brown, who is playing out of the slot and has produced some decent lines, but definitely not anything really exciting or that we're really worrying about rostering. Uh, So, you know, you got those guys, you got the receiver situation there. And then. Even uh, at tight end, you know, Hawkinson has had pretty inconsistent opportunity, and Cincinnati has been relatively strong against tight end as well. So, pass catching definitely kind of hard to see what Detroit would do there. I don't know, Lex. Any other thoughts or notes on that?
3: Yeah, it's kind of a mess. Uh, Cephus being out for the year, and if Williams is still out, maybe that boosts you know the market share for like St. Brown and Raymond. Um, but otherwise they're just not nobody's getting enough volume um to really matter. And none of them are elite enough talents to demand more volume necessarily. So it's just you're kind of betting on if you're, you know, going through a Mike Johnson's like player stuff, you know, none of that you're banking on like untalented guys in a bad spot. So it's just in a you know, weird game environment. So I, I don't know, it's just hard to bank on any of those. Hawkinson, his usage has been trending down lately. I don't really know if it's related to the injury he sustained and was questionable. For last week or the matchup, but he's the only guy in the passing game that you know went healthy. Other than you know, we'll get to the running backs, uh, DeAndre Swift, but he's the only guy of those like receivers and tight ends that'd be worth really looking on, just because when he is healthy and when he is getting targeted, he's capable of putting up really nice scores at that weak tight end position.
2: Yeah, and with Cephas being out, that takes away like their only deep threat, which Cincinnati's not going to allow you to do anyway. It just lets them clamp down even even farther on the the short area guys. As far as talent goes, I think Amon Ross St. Brown is a talented player. I think he's going to be good, probably not this year, but maybe in spurts this year. But eventually, he's going to be good when he's got a better quarterback and you know a little more help around him. Uh, he's got eight targets each of the last two weeks and. He's their most talented receiver, so if if you're looking for anything on Detroit's side, and other than Swift, then I, I would probably go with St. Brown. Uh, Jesse Bates at safety has just been shutting down tight ends for you know the past couple years, so I don't particularly have much interest in T.J. Hawkinson in this one, but. St. Brown is at least a little bit interesting if you're doing anything with this game, like if you're trying to do a correlated play, like if you think Mixon's going to force them to have to pass, then bring it back with the St. Brown. But I don't know. Th- this is going to be a pretty tough game to to try and do much with.
1: All right. So with that, why don't we take a look at the running backs quickly before moving on to the other side of the ball? Uh, we mentioned DeAndre Swift a couple of times there. I think the the biggest story out of this backfield is that they've been giving Jamal Williams more carries as he's been the more effective runner. But Swift is still seeing that receiving role uh, five plus targets in every game so far. So really, I mean, kind of like what we're talking about here or we've been talking about for the past few minutes, uh, it really feels like, you know, Jamal Williams probably not in a good spot either. And, you know, even though they'll they'll try to make, you know, they'll try to make stuff happen on the ground. But uh, depending on how this game goes, Swift in PPR, at least has uh, some potential, hasn't had a, a real, real ceiling game yet. I don't know, guys, <laughs> thoughts on on uh, the backfield here. Yeah, there.
2: Well, I, I think Swift's actually in a really good spot in this game, uh, cause Cincinnati has been tough against the run. And only the Jets are allowing more targets to running backs in Cincinnati. Uh Cincinnati's allowing 10 targets per game, which is 20 per percent of the the defensive targets going to running backs. So, and without without Cephas, without, you know, the full health of TJ Hawkinson and even him being probably taken out of this game a little bit by Cincinnati's defense, that's that's where the ball's been going against Cincinnati. So he sets up pretty well in this game. And then if he, you know, if he can just get one big one, then, then that'll pay off for him. Um, he's definitely going to be somebody that's in my early week player pool, uh, possibly make it to the late week too. But he he's in a good spot here.
3: Yeah. Uh, like I wrote in the matchups, Williams has a 58% success rate rushing and Swiss at 44. So I think Detroit's just starting to feel like, you know, Williams has been the more effective guy on the ground. Um, it backs up what uh, Jay Moyer on Twitter has been. He's a guy who charts running back production, and he's been saying echoing the same thing. Uh, but like, just now Cincinnati allowing a lot of targets to running backs, it does set up really well for him. I think it's a little bit skewed because Najee had like 20 targets in that one game. But uh, I mean, Dalvin had six catches, Najee had 14, Dylan had four for 49 and one last week. So it's definitely a much better spot through the air for these running backs, which lends itself to Swift, who's been really productive through the air. Um, if Cincinnati's scoring a lot of points and Detroit's throwing it more, it sets up well for Swift in that scenario. So I, I think he's the the best play on this side um, in terms of like, if you're playing him with one of these Cincinnati players that we're about to talk about.
1: Yeah. Just quickly a throw in there. I think, yeah, same thing. Swift is really the only player that I have interest on this side of the ball. Kind of to your point, Jess, uh, I mean, you know, if we can assume rational coaching, which we can't, but uh, if we're considering that, you know, Swift could see even like a slight uptick in targets to what he has been, and I think the most interesting part about the the Swift play to me would be just a, from a game theory and recency bias standpoint, people aren't going to be on him. This game environment as a whole isn't exciting, and so you know he has uh, again kind of like JM was talking about, I think, an inner circle. Uh, with these like mid range running backs, their their floor is low, but they do have uh, you know, a guy like him does have a high ceiling. Uh, so kind of a strategy play f- instead of a picking him and thinking that he's going to have a good game. But with that, let's shift focus here on the other side of the ball. As we've kind of been talking about, this game would be much more interesting to me, or at least a little bit more interesting if. Burrow and the Cincinnati offense were pushing the pace and throwing all over the field like they were last year. But ever since Burrow got injured, that's changed quite a bit. And they are trying to run more, you know, mix in, you know, it, until late. Uh he, he's been healthy. And so obviously wanting to get him the ball. Lex thoughts on that and how that's going to affect this game and this pace. And does Burrow have upside here?
3: So the the reason it's a weird spot for the Cincinnati passing offense is because of like what you're saying, they're they're trying to run the ball a lot more this year than they were in Burroughs rookie year. And, um, it's a weak Detroit run defense. So that lends itself to a strong spot for Mixon. Uh, I do think that he can have effectiveness though. Like obviously we're looking at different ways this game can go. So Detroit, like TJ Hernandez tweeted out some stat and they've allowed, I think it's like the 11th, uh, 11th fewest QB fantasy points but they're allowing the second most fantasy points to QBs per pass attempt. So really it's just because they haven't faced a lot of volume. They're allowing the highest yards per attempt at 10 yards per attempt to quarterbacks this year. So their pass sequence has been really, really bad. They just, they've also been bad on the ground and teams haven't had to be very aggressive against them that it's led to these kind of lower QB fantasy scores, but it's, that's a you know that's the kind of thing that can happen where if the touchdowns all go through the air, then Burrows in a really nice, really nice spot. Um, his one twenty-five plus point score this year came against Jacksonville, and that defense is giving up the second highest yards per attempt at nine point five. So it's an even better spot than that. Uh, Detroit, they're just I don't know they're just they're just weak everywhere. So it's I think it's pretty. It's highly likely that Cincinnati has success in this matchup. It's just figuring out where it goes. And if it's through the ground, that probably dampens this game environment as a whole. If Cincinnati is just controlling the ball more, there's less possession time that goes around. All the Detroit guys are probably disappointing in that scenario. But if Cincinnati kind of opens up the game with some passing touchdowns and they're able to jump out to a, a lead that forces Detroit to be more aggressive through the air and maybe leads to Swift having some nice production, Then you're, you know, then there's a reason to look at some more players in this game. Um, Otherwise, it'd probably just be, you know, mixing just because there's just not enough passing volume to go around.
2: Yeah, it's 27 pass attempts per game against Detroit. They're they're the lowest total of pass plays against and they allow the seventh most run plays. So if. If Cincinnati follows what Detroit has laid out, then they're going to run the ball 30 times, throw it 27 times and and go home with a win. Um, if somehow Cincinnati does decide to get aggressive, uh, like you said, the Detroit is allowing a high amount per attempt. They've they're allowing 11.8 yards in defensive a dot, which is nearly two more yards than the number two team, which is the Saints. And they're allowing the third most air yards. So. What Cincinnati can do, especially if Mixon is not fully healthy, is maybe kind of get start the game off and lure them in with the run and then chuck it over their head, which is basically what Detroit's been allowing everybody to do. Uh, They're blitzing a lot, too. um, So that could help because they're. You know they're, they're not really getting a ton of sacks but and they just lost before last week they lost their best pass rusher they may have a cornerback down there uh only other starting cornerback after losing okuda they they've got a Ur- Ruri arie i know i butchered his name but uh he's he mispracticed today so they could be down there they two who they were going to start at the beginning of the year they're two starting corners Which could, if Cincinnati wants to draw up a game plan to take advantage of of the pass defense that Detroit doesn't really have, then they could totally do that and just, you know, get out to a quick lead and then sit on it with the run.
3: I'll say about Detroit, too. Like, one thing that you've seen with this Dan Campbell team is they're going to fight. So if they do fall behind, I think they'll stay aggressive. Like, they're going to try to win. It's not like this team that's just going to fade into the distance, like two quarters into the game. So, I, I think what I'll end up with this game, the only players I'll probably really be considering are Chase Higgins and Mixon on that side and Swift on the other, with probably only playing them together, just um, at least the wide receivers on Cincinnati. I mean, just because I think the only way that those guys are really gonna get enough volume is if Detroit's able to somewhat keep pace on the other side and um score a little bit. So Mixon's probably in the best spot and we'll get to him, like in terms of like how this game is most likely to play out. But um, there's certainly scenarios where the passing game is effective and then Detroit is forced to keep up on their side, which leads to like maybe a little bit more scoring.
1: Yeah. So with that, just to look at all the pieces here before we move on to mix and how the game is most likely to play out, uh, pass catchers Jamar chase says, you know, bounce back in a big way, uh, 50 plus yards in every game. He's really showing his big playability. With that, there's been no real like have to have it scores from Cincinnati receivers. Uh, But with that, they do set up really well against the Detroit defense, as you guys were just alluding to. If we're going there, you know, Jesse, you kind of or sorry, Lex, you just kind of mentioned Higgins. Do we have, you
3: know,
1: like who are we going looking towards at receiver
3: and why? I think Higgins would be more just the production flows through him. Like it's not, you know, chase hitting one of his deep balls. It's just Higgins maybe finds his way into the end zone once or twice. Um, maybe if chase is getting a lot more ownership, that's what makes Higgins more valuable in that scenario. But in terms of like who sets up the best, it's definitely chase. I mean, he's been the alpha of this passing game so far. He's got 50 plus yards in every game just because he keeps connecting on these deep balls, Detroit's getting killed by deep balls. So that's another, you know, area of strength for Chase. And uh they've allowed a hundred-yard wide receiver in four or five games. And the only one that didn't was when Brown had a few drops that would have put him over a hundred. So Chase definitely sets up the best. Higgins would be more leverage off that because he can obviously have, he's had some big games in his past. Um, you know, Chase wasn't there last year, but um, it's not like Higgins can't have a couple of those touchdowns. He's definitely used in that red zone area a lot. Uh but again, I think I'm only really looking at those guys if you expect Detroit to at least make Cincinnati a little bit more aggressive. um, it's tough to envision them having a, a game that you really need if if it's kind of like a you know twenty to ten type game.
2: yeah, and like just kind of going off of the the Detroit stats that we've been throwing around and how they they've been getting burnt deep. Chase is fifth among wide receivers that aren't on IR and average targeted air yards. Second, uh, the percentage share of his team's air yards and fifth and average yards after catch above expectation. So basically what he's doing is he's catching him deep and then running away from everybody. And that's the kind of player you want to roster. Um, Higgins, you, you definitely get some value with him. He's $1,400 cheaper on DraftKings. And he has just, you know, like you're saying, he's got the red zone targets. He's got the shot for a couple of touchdowns, you know, six, seven catches, maybe a hundred yards. But if I'm betting on somebody like really exploding in this game, it would probably be chase. Um, It's harder when all three are healthy because they're all going to eat a little bit. But I don't know, just that that burrow chase connection is is something that's been really interesting to watch so far at the beginning of the year.
1: Yeah, I like the I like the T Higgins play. I liked him last week. Uh, if you were hanging out earlier today for my reflection piece, I I did play him in my flex spot this week, kind of in a, a mini stack against the Packers, hoping they were going to have to get aggressive and that he could hit on uh, you know one of his ceiling games, kind of like you guys were just alluding to. And yeah, i like the price differential, but. Still not uh, much to go on other than those pieces. But with that, let's look at the, the kind of the the key piece on the Cincinnati side of the ball here with their matchup against this really poor Detroit rush defense. I think the the biggest question I have is, is Mixon healthy? Is he still going to be on a snap count like he was last week? I mean, he would just kind of be a... Uh, pull the trigger guy after these guys have been crushed by David Montgomery and, and uh, Damien Williams and then uh, Madison last week. But what are we thinking or doing with mix in Lex? Uh,
3: Samaj P Ryan, I believe is going to be out for this game. At least the, that's the way it looks like right now with the positive COVID test. So I I think that helps mixon. Um, if there's a lot of uncertainty about his injury and that you know finds its way into his ownership levels, then I think that's a, a way to I don't really know well, let me try to think of how I'm trying to say this. I, I think that's a, a better way that's what makes mixon um, puts him in a better spot for us just because you can leverage that kind of uncertainty due to injury in terms of uh, success for your roster. So the matchup is great that in a normal week, if he was healthy, he probably would be drawing a lot of, a lot of ownership and maybe he will, but like, I, let me I'm putting my thoughts together now, but if he's not getting that ownership that maybe he should be in this spot because of that injury uncertainty, then I think that makes him an even better play just because Detroit's been getting run over pretty easily by these running backs. And we know that's what Cincinnati wants to do this year. They're a favorite in this spot. Um, we expect them to be the ones controlling this game. Uh, so I, I really think that, it sets up well to find ways to either use him, leverage him against the way the field's using him, um, either with his injury uncertainty or with the Cincinnati passing game. Well,
2: and his price point too. He's right around uh, looking at running back pricing on DraftKings. You've got Jonathan Taylor just above him, Gibson, Mixon, Swift, Madison, Hunt, Henderson. So there's quite a group there to choose from. And like you're saying, if that injury concern is keeping people off of them and they're they're just they they feel certain about swift in this price range and that could give you a little bit of leverage especially if you play swift and mix them together probably not a lot of people are going to want to stack two running backs in uh basically a low total well it's not really low but under 50 point total kind of a you know two teams that aren't Doing a whole lot but i think that gives us an advantage for sure is is to get mixed in in this price range with the running backs around them with the injury concerns um and then you know pairing them with swift to give you a little bit of differentiation and then you've got two nice mid-priced running backs
3: yeah i'll oh. say this too I, so i found now keep in mind this is an extremely unstoppable this is three games so obviously just keep that in mind like it, it's not predictive of anything but In Mixon's career, he's had three games as a road favorite. This is very similar to what I said last week about Zeke when Zeke was a, I think it was like a Homer road favorite. Um, So he scored 8.8, 25.9 and 9.3. So he's had one really great game in there and two duds. And in the two duds, Dalton had 286 and four and 396 and four. So basically what's happened when Cincinnati has been a road favorite in Mixon's career is they've scored a lot of points and it's either the production went through him or went through the passing game. So again, tiny sample. That's not really predictive of anything. I just found it interesting that it's a, it's a way to think about this game. Whereas if Cincinnati is scoring a lot of points, it might go through him, but if it's not going through him, then you might want to leverage it through maybe someone in this passing game having success. Um, whether that's, you know, Burrow with one of the receivers or one of the receivers in Swift, you know, I don't know, but I just, I found that at least interesting, even though it's a, obviously, you know, a tiny sample.
1: Yeah. I really like what both of you guys were saying here. Cause I do think it's really interesting to, Consider the ownership piece, like you were saying, Lex. uh, Because, you know, if if fully healthy, I feel like this is a a week where the field is just smashing him in this spot. Uh, So, yeah, if ownership is a little bit lower, that's kind of nice. And then, Jess, you were saying if there's other plays around him that are going to draw a little bit of ownership off him, I mean, that combined effect could be really, really interesting. And, you know, Nixon has looked good. This year from, you know, just from like a subjective. Uh, they clearly want to use him. He's shown ceiling. So that's he's he's definitely interesting to me. And uh, you guys just talked me up a little bit. I knew him, so I'm definitely going to be gauging that situation. I don't always use ownership super heavily in my style of play. Uh, but if the, the week lends itself to that, then I'll definitely be considering that.
3: Uh, can I say something, then? Yeah. So, so Jess was just talking about potentially like, yeah, like Swift and mixing both and stuff. So even just look back one week ago, um, you know, Henry and Robinson, those were the top scorers in their respective games. Uh, Zeke and now it would have been Saquon, but like Booker you know, just because he took all of Saquon's usage, those guys were like, other than Tony, those were the two or higher scoring players in that game. So the field generally stays away from those double running back spots. But if you can take guys who might have usage in the past game, like Swift is definitely going to have, and which Mixon has shown, especially now with P Ryan potential going out, maybe he gets more of that usage through the air. Like guys that are going to be on the field a ton and can succeed in those kinds of game scripts, so like, they can be played together. And that, especially when they're the two most likely guys to touch the ball um, in this kind of game.
0: I dig it.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, that's wrapping it up for this game. But as we are doing this live in the OWS fam discord here, we are going to open it up to questions, comments, uh, anything you guys want to chat about anything we mentioned today you can raise your hand ask to come up to the stage and we will field what you got
0: yeah if anyone doesn't want to raise their hand you can probably
3: write something in one of the channels too although we've been we've been going at it for a while i'm surprised there's anybody left to listen to our listening to our voices i was gonna say running
1: running long tonight going live huh? we we apparently must have felt like we needed to make a make a statement <laughs>
2: Uh, it just might have been the technical to talk about, difficulties to start. <laughs> yeah,
0: true. I could have been
1: part <laughs> of it. All right. Anybody All here? Right, go go ahead, ahead and just ask to be moved up
0: to the stage. Mike said, no question. Actually, uh, we're going to make money this week, guys. It's going to happen. <laughs> Oh, I sure hope so. It's
1: all going to be on Joe Mixon's back now. You
0: know what's yeah, funny yeah, is I say
1: I, I
3: you got... go
2: ahead. I, I think I did talk myself into at least one lineup with Mixon and Swift. It, that's Both of them are going to get a ton of volume in this game. This game sets up for those two to get a ton of volume. I dig <laughs> you know, it. Looking at the, the rest of it. Yeah, I, I, looking at the top of the running back board, it's like a QAnon meeting. There are tons of queues up there on those... Top running back. So you got Barkley with the D. But and it, we'll see if McCaffrey makes it back. And There's Echler's some pretty, in pretty interesting.
3: Yeah, some interesting running back spots this week. Yeah, like with um, um let me see where the where I had the like yeah, Eckler, obviously. And uh I think like Nick Chubbs in that like he's not as good on TK just with PPR scoring, but like he's in a strong spot to get usage and um mm-hmm. McCaffrey might be back um there's some interesting guys on here for sure actually there's not as many as i thought when i was like just thinking about oh, jonathan taylor a i nice spot talked about gibson a little bit henderson is another yeah. guy we haven't talked about that's an, that, he's really cheap too at six for being a fairly high volume back.
2: and then there's a lot there's some pay down guys too you got booker uh you got daryl mm-hmm. williams uh yeah mckissick i mean there's it's an interesting yeah. running back this week because we still don't know. I mean, I, I haven't been pulling up Minnesota injury news yet today because I've been trying to work on the the three games we were doing, but we'll see what happens with Cook and Madison. Uh, Chicago is pretty tough on running backs, both in the run and passing games. So between Aaron Jones and Dylan, I don't yeah. know too much about yeah. how they're going to be. That could be another yeah, uh,
3: 15 like, target game for Devonta.
2: <laughs> do you like the Cleveland guys and Zeke? Yeah, yeah. Interesting too. Yeah, and Swift might be my favorite too on the slate right
0: now. There (laughs) you go. Yeah, Yeah, it only supports get there.
1: Yeah, it only supports what we were just saying. You know, if if ownership is pretty spread out over the running back position, you just kind of you you know you're almost leveraging where those ceiling games can come from and you know guys like swift and mixing can definitely put up those points obviously you've got the chance that you know detroit gets into the uh Jamal Williams takes one of those touchdowns on the ground or something but you know you you break one with on a on a swift reception for a touchdown and you know you could get a handful of points like that in one play so yeah definitely definitely be interesting no takers for questions, eh? Anybody? Anybody? Go ahead. Come on up. We'll we'll stay on for another minute or so, in case anybody's got questions about these games.
0: Anything we mentioned? Wonder if you can.
1: All right, guys. Final thoughts looks like uh, we're we're alone on the stage for for tonight. <laughs> final thoughts, anything about this slate? Anything you guys want to throw out to the the crowd here?
3: Uh, Josh Gordon going for two hundred yards. I, I think i I think I forgot to write that down. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, I mean, watch the the t- the injury news and then basically ownership as the the slate condenses as we get more clarity on who's in who's out uh kind of look at look at inter- ownership projections see who's going to end up being highly owned and kind of work some angles from there
3: i was just playing with something actually on dk where you're, with the mix and swift and then with the like washington stack with like tyree hill Hill run back and you can get an a, actually a decent lineup in there and like some flexibility i, I thought that was interesting just because some guys we were just throwing out and like the games that we talked about but uh yeah, uh, you guys should be playing battle royale, just like uh, Super Draft and Yahoo. You know, soft field overlay, take advantage. It's what we preach at OWS. Um, just another different type of game that you can try to apply your knowledge to. Um, yeah, I'm I'm good. I I think I got all my my knowledge and uh, words out in the uh, uh, games that we talked about. Can't speak now, apparently speak though. It.
2: <laughs> yeah i wasn't <laughs> feeling good and then we started this thing i knew i'd start feeling good as soon as i started talking football so i think i've talked <laughs> myself into you know into a circle i might be done with the talking for now
1: sounds yep, good to me um, 8 30 on the east coast over here i'm ready to, i'm ready for a nap <laughs> a long not uh, an eight thirty nap <laughs> a full a full night nap uh all right guys well Thanks for hanging out. Uh, we appreciate you hanging in there with us for this uh, extra long pod this week. For Jess, for Lex, I'm Ben, and we hope to see you at the top of the leaderboards this weekend.
0: See you guys next time.
3: Can we just exit quietly now? <laughs> we <can laughs> We're not, not on it. our turn sure all right. to do. <laughs> everyone else can still hear us blabbing
2: how do you get off the stage does it just exit quietly
3: it must be Mm -hmm. alright I will talk to you guys next
1: week alrighty sounds good later